Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. In the bullpen today, we have Mr. Pedro Gonzalez, associate editor at Chronicles, a magazine of American culture. Uh, Mr. Gonzalez, good day, welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to chop it up about military spending. We may actually agree on some of this stuff. I hope so. Uh, but I don't want to presume what you know, believe about the American, uh, the American military and their spending. So, if you would give us your sentiment about it. Well, although I'm on the right, I'm actually against military spending. I don't. Mm -hmm. I think calling it defense spending is actually a misnomer. Mm -hmm. I think the grift budget would actually be more accurate. Because very little of this money actually has to do with national security and national defense. A lot of it has to do with just kind of feeding this war machine that regards Iraqis and Somalis and Afghans with as much hostility as it does the American people. So this is where I break with pretty much all of the Republican Party and much of the right is that I don't view the Pentagon as it's currently constructed as a friend to American interests. And as a result, I don't think that we should feed the machine much more. Damn, brother. I never thought I would hear a, and you are, you're a hardcore conservative, Fox News, the whole nine, right? Um, what you just said, I perfectly agree with. I have been saying this for years that it's not actually defense spending, that is the branding of the money. And they brand it that way so that people, do not look further. They don't want anyone to actually see what the money is being spent on. And when you go and dissect what the money is being spent on, the majority of it is not actually defense budget at all. And a lot of private contractors are involved in this, the military industrial complex, which is a machine in itself. And these are competing interests. And even though they compete against each other sometimes because of the competition, 100% they're usually competing against the the sentiment of Americans, right? right? So the majority of Americans actually do say that the Pentagon is they, they're getting too much money. We don't agree with the spending that we see in the in the military budget. Let me give people just a breakdown of how we compare to other countries, okay? And how we compare even historically in this country. So 2020 spending for the military, United States 778. A billion, right? That's compared to, and this is really interesting. That's compared to 252 billion in China, 72.9 India, Russia 61.7, United Kingdom 59.2. Here's the other part of that. Anytime we increase our budget for military spending, you know what else increases? All of their budgets. We literally incentivize other foreign nations. To increase their spending for military allotment when we have an increase in our military spending allotment. So let me ask you this, brother, because you are a fascinating political person who has a lot of integrity in this arena. Why do you think the narrative has been so disconnected? Because when you look at the platform of the Republican Party, I would assume that many would actually agree with you when they look at what it's being spent on, because we're talking about. Uh, fiscal uh, uh, being fiscally conservative. We're talking about uh, making sure taxpayers get the bank for their buck. Uh, we have to get all of this dark money out of it. As a matter of fact, remember when Don, Donald Rumsfeld years ago 
Uh, he went on TV and said, hell, I can't account for a lot of money. He laid out a huge figure. He said, I have no idea how we spent that money. So yeah. why is it that Republicans didn't jump on that message back then? I think there's a lot of reasons behind this. But one is certainly that the Republican Party is still kind of living in this Cold War consensus. Mm. So for the Republican Party, the enemy is still the Soviet Union or its most recent iteration of that, which is the the Chinese Communist Party. But my rebuttal to this is always that the Chinese have done what they've done to us, which is you know eat our lunch because US elites are bought out. We've allowed them to eat our lunch because we've sold it to them for very cheap actually. So the problem always actually comes back home. I think that's certainly one part of it. And this yeah. trapped in and you know like this 50 year thinking. Another aspect of it is the most obvious one, which is there's just way too many material interests in this. And to be clear, I'm not a fiscal conservative. I'm actually not against spending money as long as it's spent well and responsibly and it actually mm-hmm. serves the American interests. Uh, but you're right, this does actually violently contradict with the GOPs pretending to be fiscal conservatives because they're not. They support a nearly $1 trillion defense bill that does not just you know, throw, again, I use the, the wrong term there, defense bill, grift bill. Not just throw money into the furnace, but it also does something that a few years ago we were joking about, which is it has a provision to draft our daughters in war, although there are more than 70 million uh, males who are eligible for the draft, we now also want to make it so that our daughters can be drafted into the next big war. So I think there's a material material interest in here, which is just the, the defense industry that has so many hands in this. If you look at top military leadership, it's kind of a revolving door. You go from being a general to being on the board of Boeing or Northrop Grumman or Raytheon or something like that. So that's that's obviously a huge part of it, but I think those two Kind of buttoned it down. The the ideological consensus of we're still living in the 1950s and the and the biggest threat is is Soviet communism. And two, the material aspect of it. I think the two intertwine, but those are the the two biggest, broadest, and I think simplest explanations. In 1961, 1961, President Roosevelt in his farewell address warned everybody about the military-industrial complex, and he talked about how if unchecked at that time, it would become a power that nobody could check. Are we there yet? Are we living in the prophecy of President Roosevelt? Yes, just think a few weeks ago when we had that drone strike that initially we were told that it had killed a terrorist group after that suicide, that series of suicide bombings in Kabul. It turns out the Pentagon lied to us. They had killed 10 civilians, including seven children. Uh, but for you know, initially it was these were ISIS terrorists. You know, America's safe for now because we did another from the hip drone strike. Turned out to be totally false. And they they even uh, mistook a propane tank exploding for a kind of secondary uh, suicide bomber explosive device that the drone strike had taken out. It was totally absurd. And there's no accountability for that. No one is going to lose their job for not just that, but for the last 20 years that we've spent traipsing around Iraq. And Afghanistan and all these other places where we, have, where we have no business being. The fact that there is no accountability shows that we've actually reached the point that Eisenhower warned about and actually gone much further than that. The, the people that are involved in this stuff, they've actually been promoted upwards. Like guys like Mark Milley and Mattis, they have made their careers essentially as failures, failures falling upwards because they say the right things and think the right things. And so that's why guys like Mattis will go on and join a company like Theranos afterwards. Yeah, 
and I meant Eisenhower, I think I may have misspoke, but yes. Um, the issue that I'm fascinated by in this conversation is that uh, you're, you're right on the issue, obviously. And I think if you engage an authentic audience, even if that audience happens to be conservative, they will say, you know, that makes a lot of sense. What has the political fallout been, for lack of a better phrase, as it relates to your stance on the military and the direction of many in the Republican Party now? When I talk to everyday people, it's actually very good. Okay. And an example I give them is that the United States for the longest time was allying with arming and funding people that were engaged in child sexual abuse in places like Afghanistan. The Department of Defense knew that this was happening. And in fact, there's a provision called the Leahy Act that is supposed to prevent US funding from going to allies that are engaged in humanitarian human rights abuses with impunity. The Department of Defense actually found a loophole to continue funding our so-called allies in Afghanistan, although they knew they were doing things like raping children on US okay. bases. And when this got brought to light, the Department of Defense actually defended it and said, well, we need to keep the money going in order to keep the region stable. But what US troops were hearing on the ground when they tried to intervene, when our, our so-called Afghan allies were doing things like raping little boys and little girls, is the US military would actually discharge them and pull them out of Afghanistan and punish them for intervening. And so the things that US soldiers were hearing, like Green Berets, was that we were doing things worse to them than what the Taliban had done. Now imagine you're you're some kid that grows up in the Midwest and you believe in right and wrong. And so you join the US military, you become a Green Beret and you go over there and that's what you hear from, from people that you're trying to help is your government is actually hurting us. And then your government actually turns on you when you try to do the right thing. And I think when you can frame it like that for everyday Americans, that we should be ashamed of our government, but we can still be proud of who we are as Americans and view that the fact that the, the government hates us, the United States regime hates us as much as it does Afghans, that message is incredibly powerful. It's also the message that no Republican or few, very few Democrats in fact actually want to make to create this distinction between the national, the so-called national defense complex and the American people. For whatever reason, I mean, there are many, uh, no one is really in the mainstream making that argument. And the people that are, oddly enough, it's it's like you said, people like myself and even people like Tucker Carlson that are, that are actually pointing this out is, look, the, the United States government uh, views you with as much hostility as it does Iraqis. Let's talk about policy, because everything you're talking about, Pedro, is actually against policy, right? These are violations of policy. There's a written code. There's also a statutory mandate and there's a penalty. Uh, if you get caught violating these policies, right? But as I say often, uh, culture will eat policy alive every day. And what you're dealing with is a cultural issue that cannot be corrected with simple oversight or even um, the enforcement of the rules. It has to be a cultural shift. So what's the remedy here, brother? What What's on the table to reverse the negative culture that has been created over decades and decades of military spending? Um, as well as lack of accountability. I think it requires two things. One, it requires a kind of grassroots approach where you're actually just making these arguments to everyday people and telling them to take this argument to your elected official. You know, uh, call, write, protest, tell people that are supposedly representing you in office that were against this machine. 
We don't want to continue funding this thing. We don't like what the United States government, what the Pentagon is doing with our money and doing with our moral credibility because it also undermines, I think this is important. This is an intangible thing, but it's still something important, right? We're proud to be Americans. But then when we know that our government is funding these wars, that is, we're, we're selling weapons of war to the Saudis so that they can genocide the people in Yemen, that, mm-hmm. you know, that seems to really undermine the idea of America being a good nation. And people like us think it is. But you know, obviously, again, we're up against our own government in this. So I think that's one aspect of it is is really just getting everyday people to see the issue clearly and then doing something about it, acting on that anger. I think anger is actually good. People will tell you that it's not, but I think anger in politics is actually good and useful when directed constructively. And I think another aspect of it is that we're going to need at some point in the future. And I'm sorry to say this for your viewers, but I don't. Biden is turning out to be not the most anti-war president. He got us out of Afghanistan, but we're still in Iraq, Syria, Somalia. You know, we're we're still doing this stuff. So I think at some point in the future, it's actually going to take someone in the White House to do something like institutional decapitation, by which I mean firing a whole lot of people, including most of all top generals, the people that perpetuate this culture top down. Because in the military, everything's top down, right? So if you want to change the culture of the military, then you actually have to change its leadership. This is a drastic, but I actually think it needs to happen. Let's talk about, and we only have a few minutes left, man, and I really appreciate the authentic engagement. Let's talk about American policy as it relates to terrorism. So naturally, we said as a country, we have waged a war on terrorism. Well, terrorism, as evil as it is, is a mindset. It happens through a social indoctrination. And typically at the root of terrorism is American policy. There's some dynamic of American policy associated with a foreign country that can be the genesis of the recruitment mechanism, the engagement mechanism, and the terrorism over that social development process, right? When are we going to address the policies of America and how they actually create a cause and effect relationship between terrorism and what happens not only domestically, but to our interest around the globe. But you recall, guys like Pat Buchanan were actually making this argument in the 90s, for which they got chastised and basically chased out of the mainstream conservative movement for. But now I think there's so much frustration that everyday people kind of sense this. That that actually a lot of these issues seem to be self-inflicted. That's not to say that we deserve it. Everyday Americans do not deserve to be killed because of the bad policies of their leaders. Anyone who says that you're, you know, that these things or tries to conflate these two things, that if you criticize our policies and say it actually makes people hate us, then you're saying that you want your neighbor to die. That's that's a absurd, frankly, stupid argument. It's also totally unfair, but it's true. We and we have to get. I think the 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 smallest step is the most important one is making that distinction. Look. The policies of our leaders are actually making people around the world hate us and therefore putting us in danger. That is, I think, the the most important thing is creating that distinction and not being afraid to make it because it's very it's it's understandable that people are reluctant to make that point because it very quickly it seems that you'll invite the accusation of you know hating America. You're no different from ISIS or something like that. Again, totally wrong and and ridiculous. Yeah, and that is actually the biggest point. Yeah, and I've made that point before too. When when we talk about a nation that may be antithetical to America, and we're looking at let's say um, a family or uh, kids, like they're not the leadership of that country. We can't hate them because of a policy ado- adopted by the rich and the powerful and the government 
yeah. of that country. Uh, we have to also provide nuance for them, just as we would like nuance provided for us right here uh, in America. So I agree with you on that. I'm not going to muddy this up with some kind of massive debate because the truth is, I agree with you 99% of everything you've said, um, except for that uh, about Tucker Carlson, just because I don't like him. <laughs> but everything that you said, brother, I'm with you all the way. Um, I want to have you back on the show. Um, I think you make a lot of sense. I, I, I think you are able uh, to pull some of that conservative crowd over to more of a common sense um, review of what we do with our US military spending. And I gotta tell you, Pedro, you and I may disagree on a lot of things based on ideology. On this, we are in complete agreement, brother. And I appreciate you speaking the truth that you know it to be. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Absolutely.